the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Podcast. I am your host, Nick DeGilio. How are you? Episode 128 of the Nick D Podcast. Radio Misfits is the network, the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, uh, home of uh, tons of great and varied and entertaining and informative and fantastic podcasts that you should check out and subscribe to and listen to and like and rate and review and all that cool stuff. Spread the word, radiomisfits.com, the best podcast network in the world. And I'm uh, really happy and proud to be a part of it, not just with this podcast, but with my Saturday Night Live podcast that you should all check out. That's called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast dedicated to the 48 seasons plus of SNL, a show that I've been watching since the very first episode. And I'm sharing all that knowledge with you. Sometimes I have guests, sometimes I don't. But it's always a lot of fun. It's always informative. It's always a lot of fun to play back a lot of the clips and moments and classic moments and things from Saturday Night Live. So check it out. That show hasn't been funny in years. Uh, an SNL podcast. Hey, you want to be a part of the Radio Misfits? You want to be a part of this podcast in particular? How about being a sponsor? How about advertising right here on my podcast? We reach a ton of people. Let us know and uh, get get your uh, ads on this podcast. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Do it right now. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. You want to leave a voicemail message? We encourage that. We want to hear from you. This is your podcast, too. Give us some feedback. Give us some voicemails 24-7. Leave them anytime you want. We listen to every single one of them. We play many of them on the podcast as well. So you want to be a part of the podcast? We want to hear from you. 773-417-6948. Call now. Leave your voicemails. Drop us an email to nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Those are the two ways to get your megaphone message requests in as well. Whatever you want me to say into a megaphone. We get a ton of these. We get them in all the time. And I do them, we do them pretty much on every episode. I speak into the magic megaphone, and whatever you want me to say, I say I'm just a monkey. And for some reason, tons of people like to hear me say stuff that they want to hear in a magic megaphone. So voicemails of any kind, message requests of any kind for megaphones, that's 773-417-6948. Email nickdpodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs, who does all the music and all of the uh, audio stuff for the podcast as well. Coming up, it's time. Uh, as we do every other week, uh, Eric Childress and Steve Procopi join me, professional movie critics, all three of us, and we review movies. We've got new movies to talk about with Eric and with Steve. Esmeralda Leon joins me every episode, and she will on this episode. Uh, we do have a magic megaphone. We're going to be taste testing a little bit more exotic Mexican candy as we continue with Well, We love to taste test stuff on this show, and we'll do that as well. And uh, we've got more bad solutions to problems. We're also going to talk about some other stuff as well. It's always a lot of fun just to talk with Esmeralda and bat some stuff around. Have a great time with her. She's my partner, and she rules. And we love you guys as well. And, uh, and you know, you know who else we love? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, Hi, baby. I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. Yeah, and it's baseball uh, season. Baseball season is underway. Big opening day uh, was, uh, you know, uh, yesterday, as you listen to this. So baseball season has started. 
It's always new. I've been a Cub fan my entire life, so I'm used to disappointment. I'm used to being excited by opening day and then pissed off by the middle of May. So we'll see what happens this year <laughs> uh, as a Cub fan. So, uh, But baseball is around. Spring is in the air. We're all getting excited for these lovely seasons. I want to thank everybody for coming out last uh, a few nights ago to um, Zanies in Rosemont to see our latest live podcast um, the show. And we do that once a month at Zanies. The next one, we're, we're not doing one in April, but we are doing one May 16th will be the next one. Jim Flanagan will be our special guest. He's a great stand-up comedian, very hilarious. And we have a, a whole group of people who come out every month, and we want more people to come out as well. So all of you who have come out, please come out again. May 16th, Zanies in Rosemont. That's our home base. We love doing the live version of the podcast. It's so cool. We record you know, the version. You can be a part of it. We have special guests, me, Esmeralda, on stage. And it's just a great, great time. We thank everybody for coming out. And I really want to thank Rich Coase, Sven Gulli himself, for making our last live podcast so unbelievably cool, unbelievably special. It's the best one we've done so far. And we're going to continue to do them once a month. And we want you to come out. We've got a nice core group of fans who come out. We have a great time. The staff at Zany's in Rosemont is fantastic. You know, from Chris and Alex, the manager, and all the staff that are there, the wait staff and the people that are working, the tech people. Amazing group of people who are fun to work with. And that's our home base. Once a month, we're going to be doing these live podcasts. Um, and that's great. And also in August, we'll be doing another one uh, at Flashback Weekend a Horror Convention, which is going to be coming up on August 4th through the 6th at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare. So if you want to come out and see me and Esmeralda live with special guests and a lot of fun, once a month at Zany's and in August at uh, Flashback weekend. But you can hear us right now as we continue with this episode, numbered 128, and we'll jump in with our good buddies every other week. We review the new movies. I've been reviewing movies for like 37 years, for God's sake. And uh, Eric and Steve helped me out with that. So, movie reviews coming up right after I tell you that you need to be congratulated. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jaggle. There it is. That's the theme for the movie reviews, which we do every other Friday here on the Nick D Podcast. And joining me every other Friday for the big movie reviews are Eric Children, Steve Procopi. And let me say hello first to uh, Eric. Hi, Eric. Hello. All right. And to Steve Procopi. Hello, Steve. Howdy do. All right. So we've got uh, some new movies to talk about. And uh, what's what's going on there? Was there howdy do? How do you do? I don't know. <laughs> just try, just trying out something new, new okay. catchphrase. You know. All right. All right. Okay. Cool. I thought. Okay. Let's see I if thought, it sticks. I thought for a second we were getting visited by by Mr. Hanky. I thought stop by for a second. Uh, Howdy ho! Uh, but by the way, don't say that because that got me. By the way, that got me thrown in Facebook jail. Howdy ho! No, a picture, no. a picture of Mr. Hanky, uh, got me thrown in Facebook jail. I put it up on Christmas Day. Okay. On my on my Facebook page <laughs> as my avatar, you know, as my picture. And yeah, he, is it, naked, I, tech, I he is naked. He is naked technically. I put it up, and they said that it. Uh, the reason why I got I got thrown in Facebook jail was because that post was uh, 
either uh, it had uh, nudity or excessive sexual content. Oh, for Christ's sake. It was a picture of Mr. Hankey sitting on a chair next to a fire by a Christmas tree. That <laughs> was, I don't know uh, what, you know, who programs the bots at uh, Facebook, but they clearly have never, never had sex with anyone or have no idea what, <laughs> what a that naked. Tracks. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so do you, maybe you know you might just be be caught that, and don't pump, don't post anything on Facebook that has anything to do with they live. I got <laughs> I got thrown in Facebook jail twice for posting um, uh, what you know one of the I guess because I posted the picture for the for the poster for they live, mm-hmm. uh, and I got thrown in jail. And uh, uh, at one point, I posted like a some sort of like a picture from that involved the aliens from They Live, and I got thrown in jail. Now I don't know if that's exclusively for the biorhythm of me, or because mm. uh, I see pictures from They Live posted on Facebook all the time. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's because those uh, the, the the images of the aliens in They Live have now been like sort of uh, antiquated and taken over by by other groups like anti-vax yeah, co-opted. groups. Yeah, anti right. yeah they got co-opted oh, really oh I didn't know that oh yeah 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 anti-vax groups use them all the time and uh, and Did, stuff like that like like well, if you want obe- the, the obey load like, yeah. is like that's yeah. like oh, oh. <laughs> yes. yeah and the, and like if you want to be like these aliens get the vax that kind of stuff you know what I mean like you're right. ob- yeah. that kind of thing so, See, uh, so follow fuckheads yeah, well, but you don't have to because I don't either, and I got thrown in jail okay. because of it. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, why? Right. And then I'm like, oh, I see people are using the imagery. Obviously, you know, no- nothing that Carpenter had in mind, the exact opposite of what Carpenter right. had in mind. Yeah, uh, I use them for rich people and Republicans. That's what yeah, I use those for. Well, that's what, it's, that's what the movie was about, and, and evidently uh, it's, it's done so often that somehow my biorhythm – was like you, that. You must be posting something like that. So we're getting, you know, you're going in jail. So hmm. Mr. Hanky and and they live have got me thrown in jail. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. Anyway, okay. oh, and, and we're a safer place because of it. That's yes, true. Yeah. All right, Eric. Tell tell everybody where they can hear and read and all that stuff. Uh, ah, well, you can hear me at uh, the Movie Madness podcast over the Now Playing Network. Uh, every week, uh, we Steve and I talk about movies, and Peter Subzinski and I talk about the new Blu-rays. And uh, also have a second podcast at the Now Playing Network called The Friendship Dilemma that I do. I co-host with Morgan Geyer, where we talk about movies that uh, deal with male and female friendships, or at least try to. Okay. Uh, and Steve Procopi, everybody can see and hear and all that stuff, you. Yeah, you can read my uh, actual written reviews at thirdcoastreview.com, and you can hear, as Eric said, you can hear me on the Movie Madness podcast once a week, and and then all the other times I'm just chilling in the Music Box Lounge, which I will be doing later today, actually. All right, and later, uh, later in May, coming up in May, is uh, the Chicago Critics Film Festival, mm-hmm. which Eric is a producer of, and Steve, you are a programmer of. Um, and uh, participants of behind the scenes stuff, uh, and uh, the the tell everybody when the festival is, and you can get festival passes now. The individual tickets for each movies have not gone on sale yet. Correct, but, but you have announced seven titles. Is it seven titles? Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and, that and are available. Pass, yeah. And the past and the passes are on sale now for the full for the full series. Yeah, so you can buy passes right now at the Music Box Theater website. Uh, they're $150. Uh, that price will go up uh, in April after we announce our entire lineup, uh, which will be on April 17th. 
Uh, so you can get those early bird passes right now. And uh, trust me that you're going to, you're going to just want to get, just get the pass people. Just trust us on that. Okay. All right. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, you announced the seven movies. Uh, I saw the trailer for the Paul Schrader movie. Um, mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it looks like the last 11 movies he's made, which is fine with me because those movies are good. But it looks exactly yeah. like he's made the same movie now about 15 times. And I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> so. And you won't have a problem with this one either. No, I know. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it looks exa- I, looked, I watched the trailer. I said, you know, I saw that one was called the card counter, the card counter. So uh, or the card, the right. card player or whatever the fuck it was. What was it called? The card player, or the card, card counter, counter, counter. 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 Yeah, mm-hmm. I always get them. I always get them. I get, I get it mixed up because that uh, Argento had a movie called the card player. And I get those Correct. two. I get those two mm-hmm. kind of the titles mixed up. The movies are yeah. completely different, obviously, but, uh, mm-hmm. but I, get the, I get the titles mixed up because I'm old and I don't give a shit anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. So there you go. All right. Well, that's uh, the, the passes are on sale. Musicboxtheater.com. Uh, also, you can get your passes for um, the uh, Cracker Jack Compass, the works of uh, Robert Zemeckis, which starts on April thirteenth right. and goes through the nineteenth. And I'm I'm already set for that. I'm going to twenty. I'm going to twenty one movies, uh, in those in those seven days. So, um, and I think everybody should go to at least twenty one. Um, and that <laughs> starts on April thirteenth at the Music Box. And individual tickets are are on sale for that as well. They are. Uh, yes. So that's at MusicBoxTheater.com. Uh, the incredible <laughs> Robert Zemeckis uh, festival by directed by the movies directed by the incredible Robert Zemeckis, not just movies, but they're doing a program of shorts as well um, on the 15th on the 15th, um, which will include his amazing stories episode, his uh, tales from the crypt episode, uh, his student film, the lift when he was at USC, um, a PSA that he did. And uh, the short film that he made about a Vietnam vet coming back from home, coming back to home. Uh, Those will all be a part of the, of the shorts festival um, and part of, the 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 films in general that they're showing so anyway and many of them are in 35 uh mm-hmm. which is right. amazing and uh and it's going to be the best because he's one of the greatest filmmakers that's ever lived so anyway so that's those are great things that are happening at the music box in may you've got the chicago critics film festival passes are on sale right now and in april 13th through the 19th you've got the zemeckis fest uh and individual tickets and passes are on sale too check out all of that stuff at musicboxtheater.com so all right, let's get to uh, the new movies. A couple of big ones uh, come out uh, this week, um, and uh, and some a couple of movies that not all of us have seen. So, uh, by the way, the one that none of us have seen is Spinning Gold, which is the new film about the creation and uh, the rise of uh, Casablanca Records. And for people who were around in the seventies um, during the disco era, they were an incredibly influential, very very popular record label that not only had Disco and Donna Summer and other artists, but uh, also w- were the label of Kiss. Uh, mm-hmm. and, th- and throughout the late 70s in, in particular, they dominated the music field and also you know, the disco world and culturally made a huge impact. And also, let's not forget, can't stop the music with the village people and all that other <laughs> stuff. So there's a lot of that. And, uh, and it's, a big, it's a crazy story about, about that record company, which unfortunately I've heard terrible things about it. Um, mainly because the guy who directed it is the son of the founder. So uh, it seems to me everything that I've heard about is that it's insanely untrue and absolutely biased. Uh, So (laughs) that's what I've heard. But that's spinning gold. So if you're into that, that's going to be in a bunch of theaters. Opens today, very, very wide in a bunch of theaters. And it's the story of Casablanca Records. We have not seen it. 
Um, uh, I all, it's it's odd though because earlier today um, uh, I reviewed it on the Steve Cochran show. I don't know how that happened. It's weird. <laughs> it's really weird. Uh, the podcast time travel thing. But I haven't seen it now. But oddly, a couple of hours ago, when I reviewed it on the Steve Cochran show, I had seen it. I don't know how that. I don't know how that happened. Okay. Anyway, we record. On, I think we, we record on Thursday afternoon. That's how it happened. So, and I'm seeing it tonight. Anyway. Okay. Uh, well, let's start with the. I guess the, the biggest one that's coming out this week uh, is Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. I guess I forgot that there was a Dungeons and Dragons movie with <laughs> Jeremy Irons. I think right was it Jeremy yeah. Irons? I guess I, Irons I, and Marlon Wayans. Yeah, I guess I completely forgot. By the way, Marlon Wayans. Uh, I just want to mention I can't. I can't. We we can't talk about this movie yet. I don't uh, think so. Steve. No. But uh, a shockingly great performance from Marlon Wayans. I just want to say that right now. <laughs> I won't say what movie because we can't talk about it. But am I not right? Like Steve, what, oh, he I was, was great. Everyone's oh my, great in that. But yeah. Everybody but is was... great in it, and like shot. And there were there are a few performances that are shockingly good. Yeah, and his was like, where the hell? I hate Marlon Wayans, and he's tremendous. He's only in one scene in this movie. It's a it's a, it's a monologue. It's a monologue. It's a and great. He nails it. Yeah. He, yeah, great. Anyway, so anyway, Marlon Wayans was in the first <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons along inexplicably with <laughs> Jeremy Irons, and I honest to God, I forgot <clears throat> that it existed. Um, even after I saw this one, I was like, oh shit, right. There was another, there was another Dungeons and Dragons movie. Well, there's a new one now and it's Dungeons and Dragons. It's Honor Among Thieves. Um, and it is, uh, Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Hugh Grant, um, the guy who shows his balls in that Bridgerton, uh, show, (laughs) um, is in it. Rajan Paj. uh, And then the girl, and the girl from the It, uh, chapter two and It Uh is, is also in it as well. Uh, and so that, those are the people who are in it. And it's uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Eric, why don't you uh, tell us the plot of this one, and then we can all talk about what we thought of it. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Um, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Uh, I saw this at South by Southwest a few weeks ago. It was the opening night film this year at South by Southwest. Uh, so forgive me if uh, I missed a detail or two here. But Chris Pine plays a guy named... Edgen or Edgen, I can't even pronounce this guy's name. Uh, just looking at it, but Edgen, uh, who was a member of the Harpers, that probably means something to Dungeons and Dragons player. Uh, basically, sort of the the, the local army or whatever. Uh, his wife uh, is killed uh, by a red wizard, uh, and uh, he takes his daughter and basically to support her, resorts uh, leaves the Harpers and resorts to a life of crime uh, with. Uh, a uh, fellow thief played by Michelle Rodriguez and another guy played by Hugh Grant. Uh, they go the, uh, get wind of this, uh, this like resurrection tablet that they want to steal uh, with the hopes of resurrecting his wife. Uh, in the midst of doing that, they realize that they've basically crafted a devil's bargain with a red wizard and uh, both Pine and Rodriguez are captured while uh, Hugh Grant's character goes free and promises to raise or at least take care of his daughter uh, in the interim. The, the, so the two of them are in jail. They end up escaping from jail, track down uh, the daughter uh, with, with Hugh Grant, who has basically forged his own devil's bargain with this red wizard and is not going to give up the daughter. And uh, so that this sends them off on their own journey, reacquainting with uh, an amateur sorcerer played by Justice Smith and uh, I guess an elfin-like character played by Sophia Lillis from from it, if I recall. Um, 
and this is where a lot of the stuff gets hazy for me as far as the plot's concerned. Uh, they're, they're still after the Resurrection Tablet. They're trying to uh, get his daughter back. Uh, they meet up with uh, another sort of handsome rogue guy named by played by Rejan Page from uh, Bridgerton. Uh, and all kinds of fantasy mayhem and nonsense uh, ensues from there. Uh, so, as you can tell, I've never actually played Dungeons and Dragons. I was never, I never knew people that played the game, so I was never invited over to play any of these games. So I have no idea what the hell is going on with all of the objects and creatures that make cameos mostly by name in this movie. Uh, so how faithful this is to any of that, I can't possibly tell you. I can only review it as a movie, and all I see is basically a lot of fantasy nonsense with a lot of people trying to outquip each other uh, along the way. Uh, Chris Pine doesn't make for a particularly interesting uh, hero, even as a, as a goofball. Um, Michelle Rodriguez is playing the Michelle Rodriguez character she plays in every single movie. Uh, the other characters, with the exception of Rejan Page, who I think is maybe gives the most interesting performance in the entire movie, at least seems to be having the most fun with it. Uh, everyone else in this movie is just at the service of special effects and what this lame adventure plot and even the action sequences, which are trying to give some flair by the directors Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, who did the Vacation reboot and most notably Game Night. Uh, and the sort of the little action innovation that they brought to Game Night which was very welcome there, here feels like just the same old thing that we've seen in countless other fantasy adventure films. Not particularly interesting, not particularly great or involving. Uh, I didn't care about anything that went on in this movie. I don't understand what people are responding to in this because it all seems very generic. Uh, it's not particularly bad in it's special effects and whatnot, and I'm sure that the cast seemed to be having a little bit of fun with it, but it didn't really translate to me at all. Uh, so I, this is just another disposable uh, adventure film for me. Okay. All right, Steve, what do you think? I, I am, like the cast, had a lot of fun with this. Uh, and it I, I did because it's very sort of, it doesn't take itself seriously at all. And which I'm not sure how it's good. That's going to land with the D and D crowd. But I think they, I mean, the, the, from what I understand, they're, they're sort of embracing it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought Michelle Rodriguez was hilarious in this without telling like a single joke. She's actually very funny in this, uh, you know, Chris Pine, we've seen him do this sort of thing before, but I think this is like a perfect role for that kind of personality choice. I think to me, the standout here is as he has been in a, a few things lately is Hugh Grant, He's he has taken to playing these like very over the top villains so well that I can't believe that he became famous making romantic comedies like it's this this is clearly his calling. He like latter <laughs> back half of his life. Hugh Grant is is my favorite version of Hugh Grant right now, um, even, you know, even when he's playing that part on the red carpet. But anyway, yeah. so, um, yeah, so I mean, I I. And I and I and I I for I did I'd sort of forgotten that John Francis Daly was one of these directors. This is like the little nerd lead kid from Freaks and Geeks that is now uh, apparently this is this is what he's doing now. And I think this is like very close to his heart. And I think you can feel that. Um, I think um, 
I mean, the story almost doesn't, it's superfluous. It doesn't matter. It, it, it's, it, there's a lot of like, you don't get, I wouldn't, I tried not to get lost in the details or try to figure out everything. You, you can get the basics like, and, and I think in the end, even um, there's like a, there's like a strange little bit of heart here because the whole reason they want this resurrection stone that Chris Pine does is because he wants to bring his dead wife back. And he's doing that partly for himself, partly for this daughter that never really got to know her mother. Um, I think it's, I think it's, a, and, and by the way, I, 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 there's a cameo in this movie that I was not expecting. Yeah. That an unfunny completely, one. Uh, what's that? An unfunny one. Oh, I totally disagree. I, I disagree it is, yeah. it is, <laughs> it is so ridiculous. And, and, and it just, and again, they don't play it for laughs, but that just makes it even funnier. Um, I think I, I will say this. It's like, you know, the, this is an easy movie to like. It's also a fairly easy movie to forget about an hour after you see it. So I'm not in any way declaring this some sort of masterpiece, but it's just like one of the weirdest and, and like breeziest action movies that I've seen in a while. And it's actually, I think kind of nice to see an action movie. That's basically like a version of the Avengers, but not take itself so damn seriously. And I, I was very, you know, very able to sit through this and, uh, and enjoy it, and then, in, like I said, like an hour later, I was like, "What did I just see?" Okay, well, that's fine. So, not a not a rave, but like certainly, I think people are going to have fun with it, and maybe people, certainly people who know this game, will probably lose their shit. So, well, I was in it. Well, I was in a at the screening that I was at uh, was Park Press, and then the rest were I don't know where they got them from, <laughs> but they were they were clearly D and D freaks. Uh, some people came like with shirts and like costumes and stuff. And there were a lot of moments of laughter in the crowd that were, that was clearly, they were laughing at things that I didn't get. Now, like you, Eric, I never once played this game. I never, never once played D and had, uh, I knew. Neither people. did I, by the way, just to, these are three people who have never played Dungeons and Dragons. I've never played the game, never played the board game. Um, I knew people in high school who played it a lot. I, you know, I went to high school, you know, in the early eighties when it was probably at its like peak in popularity mm -hmm. at that time. Um, and everybody was playing it. And I was one of the guys that mocked people who played it. I made fun of those people um, <laughs> who played it. Um, and so I never played the game. So, uh, in that regard, all of the, and there's a lot of stuff in this movie from what I understand. I've talked to people there who have seen this. I talked to some of the people after the screening and it's loaded with little Easter eggs and little moments, and as you said, uh, Eric, objects, which are a big part of the game. Objects are a huge part oh, yeah. of Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. So they throw that in there, and that's that's cool. You know what I mean? Like, I, and, and I've never played the game once. Um, I thought this movie was a blast. I had a great time. I thought it was fun and stupid and hilarious. Um, I thought the special effects were really great. I thought the action sequences were very creative. There, is a, there are some wonderful uh, long, uh, long takes that involve the uh, the shape shifting character that Sophia Lillis plays, uh, where she changes from you know like uh, creature to creature during long takes when she's trying to get into a building or get out of a castle or you know get away from something where she changes you know from different creatures to different creatures. Although that that um, you know, that power seems to stop every once in a while. Uh, well, they do have that. Oh yeah, they they do make that deal where they have a 
a, a bracelet on where they can't have magic powers for oh, right. I totally forgot about that. But anyway, but like there are times when like she's able to shape shift and you know, and like, well, why doesn't she just turn into a whale at this point? Or why, you know, like those <laughs> questions, but they don't pop up while you're watching the sequences because I think they're so, re- I think they're so much fun. I thought this movie was a hell of a lot of fun. I thought Chris Pine was great. Uh, you know, doing as far as I'm concerned, you know, like uh, uh, it, it, for me, these kind of dumbass superheroes, it all goes back to Jack Burton and no one will be better than Jack Burton. But I like the Jack Burton type. I like the buffoon in the lead. And I love that. And I thought Michelle Rodriguez was like, like you said, Steve, I thought she was hilarious. And I thought she was a great counterpoint to uh, to Chris Pine. And I thought, you know, uh, Hugh Grant was hilarious as the villain. And, you know, um and uh, 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 Regé Jean Page is, 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 you know, interesting and weird in his part. I thought the effects were good. I thought the action sequences were well done. I thought it was a very entertaining movie. Now, again, you know, I don't like Steve. I don't think it's going to change the world. But I will say this. It's 9,000 times better than, like, the last 10 fucking Marvel movies without question. And, uh, you know, so, so just on that regard, in watching a big sort of kind of a uh, – by the way, I, I should mention that, uh, by the way – as we're recording this, Steve Procopi lives very clear, uh, very close to Wrigley Field, and it's opening day. So you'll be hearing, <laughs> you you might be hearing, you might be hearing some stuff <laughs> outside. You know, as as we're recording this, uh, you know, as blimps are going by in planes and all kinds <laughs> of stuff uh, for opening day at Wrigley. He lives very very close to Wrigley, so that's some of the noise you're going to be hearing. But anyway, the noise you're hearing right now is a garbage truck. Actually, ah, okay, <laughs> all right. I was just warning people. I was just warning people because you know, I mean, you know how it's going to get in your neighborhood in about an hour. You know how oh, it's yeah. going to get. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, uh, that might spill into this. But anyway, I found this movie vastly entertaining. I had so much of a better time than I thought I would. I was very entertained by it. It's two hours and 14 minutes long. It doesn't seem long at all. I like the heroes. I like the villains. I thought it had big laughs, and I thought it had a lot of adventure and good special effects. I had a terrific time watching this movie. I thought it was incredibly entertaining. And like I said, it is so far superior than the last huge batch of any of the DC or Marvel movies that I, I was just like, okay, uh, you know, people are going to see these dumbass Marvel movies. This is a thousand times better. So I, I was entertained by it. I don't know. So I don't know. But now, yeah. Eric, so you, you just hated it then. And, uh... I, I didn't hate it. I, just, I don't get the love for this movie. It seems very generic to me. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, fair enough. All right, well, there you go. So Steve and I both <laughs> like it, and Eric did not like it. And it's actually getting great. I think it's getting good reviews, isn't it? I think most people... I think yeah, most people nothing means this. anything anymore. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I'm with them on that. I think it's a good movie. Yeah. So, all right. So Dungeons and Dragons, Honor, what the hell is it called? Honor Among Thieves. Okay. There you uh, go. There you go. All right. All right. Uh, Steve, why don't you tell us about a very different movie? And uh, Eric, yeah. you've not seen this one. You've not seen this one yet. No. My God, is this different. <laughs> <laughs> Are we moving into a different, completely different kind of movie? This is a movie uh, called uh, A Thousand and One. Uh, Steve, tell us about this one. Yeah, so this is, a, this is a film that's sort of filled with secrets and lies, but also very hard truths that seem to almost dare those in the film to survive and even thrive. Uh, this is the first time feature writer-director A.V. Rockwell, uh, and the, by the way, produced by Lena Waithe, uh, which I noticed, and, and she's yeah. been out there like pushing this movie a lot. So yep. it's yep. a very powerful work about the spirited and fiercely protective Inez played by Tiana Taylor, primarily known as a dancer and choreographer and more recently a singer. I I don't know if this is her first acting gig, but it's her first leading role. Um, 
Inez gets out of jail at the beginning and promptly kidnaps her six-year-old son, Terry, played at that age by Aaron Kingsley. Um, uh, Aaron Kingsley, a uh, dead um, kidnaps him from the foster care system, goes into hiding, uh, initially living with her best friend in Brooklyn. And then eventually she, she's sort of afraid that the police are going to find her. But at some point she becomes aware that no one's really looking for them. Uh, because New York City has different priorities at that time. And we're talking about, what is this? The, um, 94 is when 90s, it starts. 90s, right? It starts 94. in 90s. Yeah, the 90s. 94. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, so like, like I said, New York doesn't have time to worry about missing black kids. That's basically what it comes down to. And Inez and Terry end up eventually moving to an apartment in Harlem and, and living pretty comfortably for several years after that. Um, as the film progresses, the, the filmmaker sort of cleverly sneaks in references to both Inez's history and troubles with the law and her personality and her fiery temperament, as well as what's going on in New York City during the early years of Rudy Giuliani's mayorship. Um, as one of the, the many things that 1001 makes clear is that Harlem at the time sort of exists outside of what's happening in the rest of New York. Um, Inez know this knows this and she's able to kind of hide in plain sight, giving herself and Terry identity to get through life moving forward. Um, Terry is played at 13 years old by Avon Courtney and 17 year olds, 17 years old by Josiah Cross. And all three of the young actors portraying that character are exceptional, especially Cross who has moments of emotional vulnerability that I can't recall seeing a child actor play so convincingly. Um, Terry begins his development kind of under very unloving circumstances. Um, and he's, he's practically like he barely speaks when we first meet him. And he not only learns to trust Inez through the course of the film, but he, de but he really, she really kind of devotes herself to his care. Uh, but by the end, and by the end of the film, he almost cares too much about her and the world around him uh, as the world around him begins to kind of fall apart in ways that you really don't ever see represented on screen. So um, the introduction of a male figure in Terry and Inez's life with William Catlett's character, Lucky, is both crucial and tragic in terms of Terry's upbringing. Uh, Lucky kind of devotes himself to loving Terry, but when uh, he kind of falls in, like he kind of falls, he, he, uh, he, he gets ill. He gets ill when Terry's like older, like at 17, and this misfortune represents a huge setback in the young man. Um, just when opportunities begin to present themselves to Terry, his false identity marks the beginning of sort of dismantling of this part of his life. And while this, this very intimate destruction is happening, we also kind of hear on the radio and see on TV that Mike Bloomberg is an elected mayor in 2002, and Harlem begins to become gentrified. And uh, Inez's landlord is basically forcing them out by not repairing broken pipes in a timely manner. And the world around Inez and her son is literally crumbling around them. And while that metaphor may be a bit on the nose, the story like seems necessary and so beautifully executed. Uh, this is a film that doesn't need to hit you over the head with a message to make its points. It just lets the truth of the situation do the heavy lifting with these devastating results. Um, I, I really had no idea how strong an actor Taylor was going to be. And she is 
the embodiment of a lifetime of anger and disappointment and regret. And Inez sees her son perhaps as the one good thing she has brought in this world. And as a result, her treatment of him is sometimes built on those expectations. And it's kind of harsh. Sometimes she rides him to succeed and things get incredibly tense between them at times. But again, it all rings very true. Even if their story doesn't play out how you think it's going to, um, this is one of the first truly great films of the year. Um, it's about the shifting definition of home and stability and identity, and it will leave a mark on your heart that you will soon forget. So, yeah, um, yeah, I I echo everything you said, Steve. I you know, and I went into this. I knew that it was like now. Now, Eric, it play, did it play at any of the film festivals that you... That you Sundance. It, 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 it Sundance. Yeah. It Sundance. Yeah. And I'd, I'd <clears throat> heard about it, and I'd heard the title and all that stuff, and I didn't really... Didn't read about it. I didn't really know what it was about, and I also noticed that they were screening the crap out of it. So it was one of those movies that they clearly... Uh, you know, the, the studios were very proud of it, and they wanted people to see it, because it wasn't one of those... It clearly was not being hidden from critics. Um, you know, they, you know, they've, they probably screened it six times and it, you know, it opened today. Um, and I went to a later screening. I saw it probably four screenings in, um, just a few nights ago and I went in and it didn't really know much about it. And, uh, and I was blown away by it. I, it is like, it is the first truly profound and really beautiful and important film of 2023. Um, and it is anchored by an incredible performance by Tiana Taylor. She's amazing in it. And playing a character that is not, um, you know, she is the center of the film, but she's not a hero uh, in any way. Um, you know, there, there's, there, are typical, there are moments of typical behavior in this movie where you question it. And there are certain things that are that are left as kind of a secret in the movie because things about her, things about the characters themselves are revealed slowly, you know, and there are there are actual huge surprises in this movie um, in that regard. Um, and, and she's a very flawed character and she plays this character to the hilt um, and, and incredible authenticity. And that's the thing that stuck out for me about this movie. Not only is mm-hmm. it a great domestic film about relationships, very complicated and unusual relationships between, you know, uh, mothers and sons and boyfriends and husbands and things like that, that get more complicated and mysterious as the movie goes on. So not only is it domestically really, uh, uh, you know, very, very, you know, intense and, and worth watching and captivating, but it is, um, it's also not a, it's also a great film about race, but more than anything else, this movie is an astonishingly, accurate uh, depiction of New York City from the mid-90s to the mid-aughts. Like, unbelievable, to the point where... I And I know that they use sort of like archival footage in this movie, but there are scenes... This is not a big-budget movie. There are scenes that are shot in New York City where it looks like, like, like long shots that it looks like it's 1994 or 1998 mm-hmm. in New York City. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I don't, a, a real big shout out to the production designers, to the people that, to the people that recreated on this budget, New York city in the mid nineties to the point where I was like, Jesus Christ, is this a documentary? Like I'm not, hmm. is this old? And, and they do interspurt it with like long shots or overhead shots or helicopter shots of New York city, uh, during that time period. But man, when you get down to it, the costumes, the way people act the way it feels, you are dropped right into the center of Harlem in the mid-90s without a speck of anything that's not authentic. 
It's unbelievable in that way. Like, it is immersive. You are in New York City for that 10-year stretch, that, that time when Giuliani gets in there and starts to clean up the city and things start to clean up. Well, in his version of cleaning up the mm-hmm. city. And then when Bloomberg comes in and everything and what happens to, 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 to the minorities in the city at that time, what happens to the neighborhoods, what happens to the city, it's all reflected and it's done not only authentically, but it also adds immeasurably to the effectiveness of the, the, this, this central story, this intimate story about this family. Uh, it's a, it's a tr- it is an incredibly well-made movie. Um, it's beautifully written. It's beautifully acted. Uh, and I was like, and, and you, know, you know how when you walk into a movie, you guys, and you're like, I've got no expectations for this. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I really didn't know much about it. I was like, eh. And man, when I walked out, I'm like, my God, I mean, it's one of those, it's one of those great experiences where you walk in with no expectations, not knowing much, and you walk out being completely fucking blown away by a movie. And that's how I felt about this movie. And again, that, that lead performance by Tiana Taylor, I really hope people remember it. I know it's only March, but I really hope they do some sort of campaign, you know, around the end of the year. And, 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 and all the kids, as you said, Steve, all the kids, especially Josiah Cross, uh, who plays the 17 year old version of the kid. Uh, this shit is incredible. It's like on an intimate level about a family and about race. It's incredible. And about, you know, the authenticity of creating that tumultuous time period, especially for the people who lived in Harlem in New York City between the mid 90s and the mid aughts. Great stuff, like all the way around a thousand and one. The first really like uh, important film of the year. So, uh, uh, Eric, I can't wait to hear what you think of it because it's OK. It's a it's a fucking great movie. It's a great movie. So yeah, don't don't sleep on this one. It's, yeah, it's no, this tremendous. is this is no seriously. And to, for everybody out there, this is this is one that you should seek out. It's not. It's a low budget film. Uh, obviously, there's not one star in this movie, uh, but there is a star making performance, and I think mm-hmm. um, a directorial debut of enormous promise. Uh, it's a tr- it's a tremendous movie, and that's a thousand and one. So all right, <laughs> all right, Eric, tell us about Tetris <laughs> as we move um, on. Yes. <laughs> Uh, let's oh. let's follow that with a movie called Tetris, shall we? Back to the oh. nerds, nude nerd movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. That's weird. That's isn't that weird? We got Dungeons and Dragons, a movie called Dungeons, and a movie called Tetris. Wow, uh, I didn't yeah. even that just hit me right now. Okay, so uh, all right, Tetris. Let's hear about that uh, one. Uh, well, this game I have played. Uh, <laughs> not- <laughs> right. I think we've all played this one, right, Steve? You yeah, played yeah. Tetris. Oh yeah. Oh, okay, sure. so that, that's that's one. Okay, so that's one step up on Dungeons and Dragons. We've all played Tetris. That's right, exactly. So let's just. Although this movie is not so much about the game itself, obviously, because how could you make a game out of sliding blocks and stuff like that? No, this is about uh, how Tetris basically came to be, as far as the marketplace is concerned. Um, And the movie stars Taron Taron Edgerton as Hank Rogers, uh, who had uh, founded a software company in Japan. And as the movie opens, we see him at a gaming convention trying to hawk one of his own products. When he comes upon people playing Tetris and people becoming obsessed with it, and he sees gold immediately, uh, and he goes back to his uh, the investors at his company, uh, tries to get him to go to Russia where he has to uh, fight basically and try to nail down uh, the rights from the people who uh, had the you know who cre- designed the game in Russia. The game was designed by. Uh, a Russian programmer uh, who basically kind of in his 
off time from his job, basically designed it and leads to a lot of complications in uh, Russian law and authoritarianism and uh, how uh, uh, Rogers goes about to, to get the, the rights out of this thing. And it involves a number of other players, including uh, not just the, uh, the guy who designed the game, but the Russian government as well, trying to latch on uh, as much as they can to uh, not let this thing out of the country. Uh, and also another uh, investor uh, named Robert Maxwell, uh, who I don't know if the film mentions it, but he's actually the father of Ghislaine Maxwell, who a name that people <laughs> might recognize. I don't yeah. remember if her name's ever brought up in the movie, but uh, but that's this guy's. Uh, that's her father, uh, and he has a real shitty little son who's also trying to impress daddy by uh, latching on and trying to get a piece of this puzzle, puzzle as well. Um, and uh, that also involves uh, Toby Jones's uh, negotiator, who's a slimy little weasel as well. So you have all of these characters all converging at once, right in the middle of the Cold War. This is like right in like 1988, I think the, the movie takes place. So well, right the, the, end of the end, cold, end of the Cold War, yeah, yeah. Supposedly the end of the Cold War, but right sort of the end of Reagan's reign. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have this uh, really in, potentially intriguing uh, battle of wills, if you will, battle of wits in, in the business world. Uh, and trying to massage all these things while at the same time Rogers avoiding being jailed and being captured by the KGB and maybe God knows something worse because he's not even supposed to be allowed in the country due to business visas and he's not supposed to even talk to certain people and the KGB is trailing him. Um, so all, all of these factors go into play and yet this movie feels very flat uh, and I think a lot of it is due to the direction uh, of the film, but also the, the, if ever a screenplay was calling out for a little extra flair, if, if anyone needed a little Aaron Sorkin to, to come in and massage all this stuff and give the sort of the social network vibe that this film is tr- clearly trying to go for, at least as just the, the business and the legal wrangling stuff, uh, this movie definitely needed because it feels like a kind of a TV version TV movie version of a really great story. The kind of thing that, like, not the great HBO movies, but like the TBS TNT movies that they were kind of making uh, in the early aughts about uh, business stories like like the Apple and Microsoft battle and stuff like that. And it just, other than Edgerton, you know, diving into this thing and being this really sort of interesting center, uh, center character who just will not take no for an answer. And you just, like, every time he starts telling... The KGB know you're just like, dude, you're gonna get killed. What are you doing? Uh, and yet the the direction of the film, it just it feels very flat. Like they keep trying to introduce you know 80s music on the soundtrack to ump the action quotient, and there are elements of the, uh, that feel like something right out of Bridge of Spies, which handled a lot of this kind of stuff uh, in in a much uh, a, a much greater sense. They had a better screenplay and obviously a better director there. Uh, but uh, I, I, I was I was really disappointed. In this, uh, because I think that there's a there's a real interesting story at the center of this about capitalism versus communism, uh, and you know two sides of the world fighting over something that this little you know basically entrepreneur, this programmer guy, uh, had designed, and everyone trying to take control of it. And this film, I think, sort of misses the boat on all of it. So I was, you know, I, I wanted to go play the game afterwards, but I didn't really want to watch the movie again. Okay. Steve, what do you think? 
It's funny you say that because that's the first thing I thought of after I saw this movie was, God, I haven't played that game in a while. And I just went and found a free version of it online. And like, <laughs> OK, so like so in that if that's the point, which I don't think it is that then it worked. But I will say I don't disagree with most of what you're saying. I just think I liked it a little bit more um, only because it, a big a big part of it was this. I, I kind of get into this, like the nuances of this deal making and how for one just one dumb little game. There are like rights issues for every country. There's like home computer versus arcade rights versus, you know, just all these rights for things like Game Boy, which didn't even technically exist at this point. They're just about to launch it. And it like there's just like so many ways you can make money off of this. And it's such a struggle to do it. And and partly it's because of the whole Russian thing. But um, and, and it doesn't help that like communism is literally about to fall apart the Soviet Union is about to crumble and everyone's just trying to grab all the money they can as like their golden parachute out of the, out of communism. So, um, so there's a lot of like backstabbing and double dealing and just betrayal and lying and spying and everything. I mean, that, that to me is, is fun, but this film doesn't make it feel that fun a lot of the time. And, and part of it's the look of the film. It's got sort of a faded, like the colors are kind of washed out. I guess they're trying to make it look period, but that's yeah. not really how you make it look period. So, um, yeah. And like you said, like the music thing, I will say the thing that I did respond to a great deal was this relationship, the scenes between Rogers and the, the game's inventor. I feel like they kind of become friends at a certain point, almost reluctantly on the part of the inventor. He just doesn't trust Americans um, and certainly doesn't trust capitalists. So, but I found that that relationship got like to a point where it was very touching. It was very clear that Rogers was moved by this guy's plight and the fact that this guy's game was about to be the biggest thing ever and he wasn't going to make a dime off of it. I feel like Rogers saw that as a great injustice and wanted to help the guy. And so that later in the film, when that becomes sort of front and center, that that makes it a little more engaging for me because we actually have people we care about. And Eric's right. This, this definitely borrows from the social network idea with like a sprinkling of like Argo in it toward the end. There's a, there is a, yes. a, a plane, a plane catching yeah. a plane in the, well, people like, like KGB agents are chasing you. Um, and that's fine. That's, I mean, Eric said it needed a little more, a little more pizzazz and that, that was certainly some of that. But anyway, um, it, it, I don't think it really sold the period like it was trying to. And, and, and like I said, if, you know, if you, if you squint, you can see, see the inter interesting part of parts of this story there. And it is a terrific story. Um, the, the, the Maxwell stuff. I mean, I realize it was pretty critical to this, but I, they were trying to make be clever and having him like constantly shredding documents. And it was very clear. And he, the, the dude lost billions of dollars. So, or, uh, or in some cases stole billions of dollars. So, um, so yeah, they, and if you, if you don't know that those scenes don't really, they seem superfluous and anyway, but so it's a, it's a, it's a near miss for me. I think it's mostly a miss though. So yeah, Tetris, not, not quite on the mark. You know, it's really weird to uh, to see two movies this week that are uh, take place around the same time period, uh, very mm. 80s, about the invention of something or the creation of something, the behind the scenes of that, the politics behind that, you know what I mean? And bringing mm -hmm. two monstrous things that were developed in the 80s and how they became culturally significant, big time. 
Um, and so that was it was kind of weird because last night, you know, we saw this movie. We saw fucking we saw Air last night, yeah. and and <laughs> and you know, and and it's it was similar in in, in it just on, on, on the strictest of like skimming the surface, it is. Uh, a culturally significant thing was invented, created, and there a lot of deals were made behind the scenes to get these things done. And that's what these two movies are about. And they they take place at the same time. There's a lot of like songs, song cues from the '80s in both of them, and all that stuff. And this one takes on, I think, a lot more than what Air attempts to do, but doesn't succeed in the same way that Air does. Um, mm-hmm. And it tries to do a lot more than it's capable of doing. I think there are some interesting things here. Um, I love, I, you know, I love the idea of exploring the Cold War, especially at the end of the Cold War. And there are a lot of really good actors in this movie, um, you know, and, and there are, some, there are situations that I thought were, were interesting. But overall, everything it tries to reach for, it just kind of misses uh, in, in everything that it goes for. Um, I, I find this director, this John Bart Baird guy, to be fascinating because, like, he runs hot and cold. Like, he did okay with this movie. He made a terrible movie about uh, uh, Laurel, and, <laughs> Laurel and Hardy. Um, years yeah. ago, uh, but he made a really great version of Irvine Welsh, and I happen to be a huge fan of Irvine Welsh. He made a great version of Filth. I mean, you uh-huh. know, when you have when you have James McAvoy in your movie, automatically it makes it good. Uh, <laughs> but he did that's a really great movie. He directed the hell out of that movie and and and, and adapted it. So I think this guy's got a lot of uh, a lot of talent. He's done some interesting things in the past, and there are sections in this movie that have that sort of feel of the of the kind of energy and the intelligence he brought to filth but i don't know if he was if he felt that he needed to do certain things in order to make a movie about tetris less complicated i don't know i'm not really sure but it it it, it works for me in fits and starts uh overall but of the two movies that i saw this week about the creation of culturally significant things in the 80s this is not as good as the other one. <laughs> so, uh, that's all. That's all I will say about it. And it's on, for people who want. It's in theaters, but it's also on Apple TV, right? It's uh, you can. It's uh, is yes. it in theaters? Is it in theaters? Is it? I don't know. I don't think, I, I don't think I so. It was exclusive. Oh, okay. So it's Apple TV. I, I don't know. Apple I mean, TV I, you know, Plus. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I, I know. I watched it on a laptop. That's all I know. Yeah. Uh, so um, anyway. Uh, but yeah, I didn't know because some of the, some of the Apple movies get thrown into TV, right? Sure. Or, or into sure, theaters, sure. right? They do. Mm-hmm. I just I'm, I'm never almost, know. No, I'm almost positive the, the press release said exclusively on, exclusively on oh, Apple yeah. TV Plus. You know what? So, I yeah. just I got my phone next to me and I just looked it up and it's only on Apple TV. Okay, there yeah. we go. So it's official. My phone doesn't lie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, so Tetris on Apple TV. We're kind of mixed on eh, whatever. I mean, if it's if you listen, if you're just sitting on your couch watching it, you could do a lot worse. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. go, yeah. I, would hes- I would hesitate to actually have people go to the theater and pay money to see it. But if you're home and you're like, eh, whatever, yeah. I'll watch it. It's fine. You know, it's fine. That, yeah. that actually, that it makes it easier to review. It's on Apple TV. Watch it. It's fine. <laughs> Put it on the poster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is no poster. No, no. <laughs> Put it on the description that pops up when you hit your little remote. That'll, that'll be yeah. it. Uh, okay, what do we got next time? Two weeks. Uh, what do we got in uh, Renfield? Renfield. Uh, yes, Renfield. Uh, the movie that looks like the movie that looks like someone watched What We Do in the Shadows and thought they would make another version of uh, Guillermo. That's what it looks like to me. So I don't know. All right. Uh, and so the Renfield. Tommy Collette film, um, Ma- oh, yeah. Mafia Mama. Mafia, Mafia Mama. Trailer? <laughs> Mafia yeah. Mama. I can't wait. I can't wait. Tony Collette, man. Uh, she's the best. And uh, so. Pope's Exorcist with Russell Crowe. <laughs> now, here's the thing about that. That movie looks goddamn ridiculous. 
But yeah. the guy who directed it directed Overlord, and Overlord ruled. Mm-hmm. So that's the oh, only. I'm interested. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. When yeah. I first saw the trailer, I'm like, get out of here. And then I was like, oh shit, the guy from Overlord directed that. Well, it's gonna kick ass. So anyway, all right. Well, well that's I, fun. I, Nick. I have some bad news because I have officially heard they are not screening this movie. Oh so. no! Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, hey, I don't care. So I'm still, I'm still, I'm still, you know, I, I'm still looking forward to it only because the dude directed Overlord. And by the way, if, if for mm-hmm. those people who are listening who have not gone back and watched Overlord, that's a, that's a guy, that's, that now to me has just yeah. become like this underground right. classic. That movie kicks ass. So anyway. All right. The new hey, Kelly thanks. Reichert movie opens that week too. Oh, that's right. Yes. Uh, a, showing uh, up. Showing up, which mm-hmm. we've all, which we've all already mm-hmm. seen. Correct. We've all seen that, right? Yes. Right. I will, right, right, I will right. have by then. Oh, you will have by then. Okay. All right. Yes. Well, okay. All right. So no, no, we won't ruin it, but it's great. All right. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, guys. So we'll talk to you next time. Okay. Sounds all right, good. Thanks. All right, see you later. There's uh, Steve Procopi, Eric Childress in the movies. And now let's talk with uh, Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esmeralda. I'm talking about that Esmeralda. Esmeralda Leon, yeah. Esmeralda, yeah, yeah. Esmeralda Leon, yeah, yeah. Get yourself some asthma. Love me some asthma. Esmeralda Leon, yeah. Esmeralda. Yeah. There it is. That's the theme that everybody loves to hear, and that means only one thing. It means it's time to talk to Esmeralda Leon. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. You uh, got anything planned? It is a Friday. You got anything going on for the weekend? Um, I'm actually going to... A friend of ours has a uh, housewarming uh, anniversary, I guess. Oh, so it's like... It's, it's been like two years since they've moved into their house, so they're celebrating <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, isn't that just like a real, just an excuse for a party? Like, uh, Essentially, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what? Let's just celebrate. We've been here two years. Let's just have a party. <laughs> yeah, they do it. Well, they've they've done it every year, so they've they oh, celebrated so, last year. I and, see. So, so yeah. it's a it's a yearly we like our house anniversary party. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, that's cool. I just thought it was just like, uh, you know, let's have a party Friday. Is there any kind of reason? I don't know. We've been here almost two years. Let's do that. Let's yeah. Do, let's do I mean, that. essentially. That's cool, though. But if they do it yearly, that's a thing. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Uh, and where do they live? Do they live in the suburbs? Uh, No. They're in Logan Square. Oh, they're in Logan Square. Okay. So it's not very far then. That's cool. Nope. It was funny. All. I said suburbs. Do you remember? I think you're too young for this. There was a, there was a commercial... Um, that had the woman who was like, it was a local commercial. And I can't mm. remember, it was it was a local, it could have been carpeting, you know what I mean? Something like that, not like the Empire or whatever, but some sort of household local service. Mm-hmm. Um, and the woman who was kind of like the, 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 the amusing spokeswoman for it was, I think she was a relative of someone who owned the company or something. She's an older, oh, of course. <laughs> older, uh, an older African American lady. She was probably in her seventies, and she would say, you know, she would say, "I think you should, you should use our service." And she was like an older, uh, older uh, woman. And at the mm. end, she would, she would give the phone number, which I don't remember what it was. Maybe somebody remembers. And if you guys, you know, 
uh, want to jump in here, you can leave this uh, voicemail at 773-417-6948 or nickdpodcast at gmail.com. I don't remember the, the, the actual commercial um, but or the product. But at the end of it, she would give the phone number and say, you can call, you know, like 312, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, suburbs, she would say, instead of suburbs, she would go, suburbs within 50 miles, call, collect. Well, <laughs> that is old. <laughs> yeah, it is. Call it is collect. old. But, but not just that. She said suburbs. She would go, suburbs within 50 miles, call, collect. <laughs> and I've, al- I've always remembered that from when I was a kid. I, I don't know. I was probably like, when these commercials were popular, I was probably, you know, like 12, 13, maybe a little bit older. And mm-hmm. I just remember going, suburbs? Who says suburbs? Do you know what I mean? Have you ever heard that anybody? Lady. Yeah, that lady. <laughs> that one lady. That one lady who's, I don't remember if you, and again, if you remember, and you know what the product is, you remember the commercial. I mean, I can do some research and maybe find it online. You know, I'm sure it's somewhere out there in the ether and on YouTube or something. But it was an older African-American woman who would say, suburbs within 50 miles, call collect. Interesting. <laughs> suburbs. That's like I mean, nice but, of know, them to take the take the charge of if he were to call. Right, if he called, it was just call collect. Remember that? Remember those days, call and collect. You ever do that? You ever call collect to anybody? Oh yeah, yeah. The, Saved my hide a couple times when you don't uh, have any money. Oh yeah, for the mich- wanna... for the for the phone, right? For the uh, for a phone call. <laughs> have you? Did you ever like do a call and then hang up and the phone rang and you were supposed to put more money in? You ever do? You ever? Has that ever happened to you? Remember those? Those days? No. I never, you know, I never, like, had conversations on the damn things. On the telephone? <laughs> on the cell phone? On the, uh, t- on the, on the, the. On a pay phone. On a pay phone? No? Really? You've never had it's conversations usually, like, real phone? quick. Oh, really? Oh, okay. All right. I'm older yeah, I'm than you. standing around. <laughs> well, that's why they had phone I had a booths. phone in my house, so. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's why they had booths. Like, if you, because if you were out now, if you're, if you have a problem, you got a phone. But before, like if there was a car, a car broke down or you were in the middle of nowhere, you had to walk to a phone booth. You had to go to a phone booth and you would actually have conversations on phone booths. It was a it was a it was a real thing. But there were those times when like you would have, you know, like they would interrupt your call and go, uh, you're over the time limit. You need to put in uh, 20. Right. But that's what I mean. Like, I've never, uh, never used pay phones like that. I just. Oh, OK. It was usually well, like a quick thing that needed to be. <laughs> Yeah, that's not that well, or whatever. Well, I, I mean, wasn't I guess hanging I, out at the at the payphone. Well, it's not like hanging out. It was like you'd have a conversation with someone like if you got off a plane and you wanted to make, you know, you have a conversation with somebody, you would be on. That's why there were banks of payphones. Are there still payphones in in uh, in airports? I haven't been in airports. Um, if there is, I haven't seen them. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I don't know how many times, you know, like, you know, I've, I've had a conversation or maybe even call collect when you call collect or something like that. And maybe somebody doesn't want to take it or whatever. But when the phone rings and then <laughs> and then the phone rings back, like you hang up and the phone rings, it goes, yeah, you still owe money. You're like, yeah, fuck off. I'm not going to pay. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what, are you, what are you going to do? What are you going to find me? What are you going to find me for a quarter? You know what I mean? It's like, good luck to the next person yeah, who tries yeah. to use the phone. Yeah. No, I love that when they would ring back and go, yeah, you, you know, you, you owe now uh, 25 cents. I'm like, yeah, okay. You're trying, trying, you know. I've got enough bill collectors, like real ones yeah. after me. It's like, oh, right, I'll do it right now. I don't, need, I, don't need the, I don't need the pay phone guy after me. So anyway, uh-oh, wait a minute now. Hold it. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I Hi, love Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. But Carrie Russell uh, uh, has probably been in a phone booth or two in her day, I would imagine. No. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah! Yeah, man! 
Oh, yeah. So anyway, all right. Um, so yeah, yeah, the payphone thing. That's that. Uh, I don't even. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah. How did we get on this? Uh, oh, the suburbs within fifty miles. Call collect. Yeah, yeah so it's calling collect. Suburbs. I've never. I still have never heard. That's the only time I've ever heard that was this older lady who mm-hmm. said it on this commercial. And I've never heard anybody ever said it's the only time I've ever heard it. Now, I'm like my mom, for instance. My mom grew up like uh, the early part of her life on a farm in southern Illinois. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if – so she says, and I think that's because of where she was from. I think it's a southern Illinois thing or maybe further south. My mom says instead of wash, she, she says wash. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and Did that's she a, say the what is it? Suburbs? <laughs> no, she does not. No one says suburbs except for the old African American lady who is on the who is on the yeah. unless, unless I don't know enough people, you know, I, or unless I just don't hear the word suburbs enough in my life. But 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 my mom says wash, um, and I know a lot of people, and I think that's a southern thing. I'm almost positive that's mm-hmm. a southern thing. My mom still says it to this day. My mom says, I've got to wash the dishes. And I'm like, I don't know what that means because the word is wash. <laughs> um, but now are there like, uh, let's see, there's wash. And then um, like, for instance, how do you say, how do you say the word E-G-G? Egg. Egg. Right. Because some people mm-hmm. say, some people say egg. And uh, how about M-I-L-K? Milk. Oh, you say milk. Yeah. Okay. Because it's milk. Yeah, milk. Okay, it's, okay. It sounded like you said milk. milk. It sounded like you said milk because milk. That's how. Well, how, yeah, well, yeah. Okay, it was weird because because <laughs> some people like there's a guy there's a guy on a dairy commercial like a commercial for milk who actually says milk, doesn't say milk. Yeah, he I says think milk. that's more of a West Coast. They yeah. say milk. Yeah, which makes me nuts. Like I'm like now the word is milk. It's not milk. But this guy who's doing a commercial, I think it's for lactate. So it's not, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, but well, yeah, you know so how maybe he's in California. <laughs> yeah, I get, well, I mean, you know how anal I am about my milk. You know what I mean? I've got to have milk. Yeah. So, you know how much I love my dairy. So if anything strays from the correct pronunciation, even the pronunciation of the word, like here's have some milk. I'm like, no, it's not M-E-L-K. M-I-L-K. How so. dare you disparage my milk, That's sir? Right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But yeah, but I've never heard suburbs from anybody else but that woman. I don't know. I don't know her story. I don't know her. But I think she's a she was a relative of the family owned company and they thought it would be mm-hmm. funny to put her in the commercial. I mean, maybe they were short on time and she said it funny and they're like, well, it's fine. We'll keep it. Just keep it. The suburbs. People will be talking about it. Th- well, at least one Jagoff is going to be talking about it 40 years later uh, on his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else will remember it or care, but there'll be this one idiot in Chicago who's got a podcast who 40 years after the commercial stopped airing will continue to say, I don't understand why she said suburbs. So I don't know. Anyway. Uh, hey, magic megaphone time. I know how much you enjoy mm-hmm. it, Geraldo. Yes. Uh, Ray from the South Side sent us a request on the Magic Megaphone. Okay. And again, if you have a request, I am your Magic Megaphone monkey. Whatever you want me to say into the megaphone, I will say. If it's a secret joke or, a, or just a regular joke or a message or something or a line from a movie or some sort of thing, uh, whatever you want, I will say it into the megaphone. You will hear it and you will get a personalized segment on the show. So there you go. Send an email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. 
or call us at 773-417-6948. Okay, again, I'll play it, Esmeralda, and then I'll explain it. This one actually mm-hmm. uh, won't need a lot of it. This one won't need a lot of explanation, but I'll play it. So this is from Ray, who is on the south side of Chicago, and this is one of his megaphone. This is his megaphone request. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Don't stand. Don't stand so. Don't stand so close to me. Don't stand. So, Don't stand so. Right. Don't stand so close to me. So. Don't stand. I guess you can. I mean, that's not a hard one to figure out. Mm-mm. No. I know what he's talking about. <laughs> um, he uh, was talking about that he had sent a this, he, he sent this request in a little while ago, and we're just getting to some because mm-hmm. there are a bunch of the requests. But th- that should not hamper you from. Sending in your megaphone requests anytime. Oh, we'll get to it. We will. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, But he was talking about the concert at Comiskey Park in July Mm. of 1983 as being one of the best concerts he's ever seen in his life. And it was the police. And he said, can you do a dramatic reading of the of the of the of the of my of my favorite uh, um, police song? So that's what I did. Don't stand. Yeah, very nice. Don't stand so. Right. Don't yeah. stand so close to me. So, yeah. Don't stand. So, um, yeah. So he wanted that. It's his favorite. Don't stand so close to me is his favorite uh, police song. Ooh, hey, there's. Very uh, nice. There's Jake. I, I just I know where he, he is. Well, he, just, he just made a little cameo. I just heard him in the background. Good. Uh, he loves the police. Does he like? The, does he like a McRib? Would he like a McRib? He was, McRib is back. He, he want, was at that show in 1983. Well, wow, you know I yeah. saw him there. I saw him there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's a huge police fan. So July, you know, he never ju- misses a show. July of 1983 at Comiskey Park. That's where they kicked off their worldwide synchronicity tour. Mm. And it was an all-day new wave, new wavy concert lineup. Oh. Um, Who else was there? Ministry. And this mm-hmm. was before oh, Ministry. Before. <laughs> yeah, this was like, hey, li- hey, listen, what the hell happened after that first mm. album? That, that's when the first album sounded, you know, first album sounded like, right. Depeche, like Depeche Mode. Yeah. And my, my buddy Joe was with me, my, my, my late buddy, uh, the great Joe Donatello. Hey, listen, Al. Oh, Al Jorgensen. What the hell happened after that first album? <laughs> that's when Jorgensen <laughs> spit at him. And Joe said, you know, that's a little fucking rude. He said that. <laughs> I mean, it is. He wasn't wrong. Exactly that is rude. It's <laughs> one of my favorite. Spitting at people just because you don't like what they say. Yeah, because you know, but but it was so it was ridiculous because I mean, Al Jorgensen famously hates that first record. You know, I mean, yeah, he want he wanted to do the industrial hardcore stuff from the beginning, but the label made him record this new wave album. You know, mm-hmm. and he hates it. And that's the only album that me and Joe like by Ministry is with sympathy. Interesting. And Joe happened to be in a music studio. He was in one studio mixing something, and Al Jorgensen was in another one, and they met like in the common area where the vending machines were. Mm-hmm. And Joe, Joe just sees him and goes, Al Jorgensen! And then just right to his face says, Hey, listen, what the hell happened after that first album? The hell happened. <laughs> and at that time, Jorgensen was at his because Jorgensen is was uh, had some issues with you know with the H. He did the heroin and he did all. He was mm-hmm. used to drive around in his car like a lunatic and in you know with his dreadlocks and stuff. He just went through, he went through some crazy crazy drug induced times and he was at like kind of the height of that time when Joe mm-hmm. decided he was going to say, "Hey, listen, what the hell happened after that first?" <laughs> <laughs> Which is why he spit out. That's a little fucking rude. 
So ministry was on the on the bill, mm-hmm. and with sympathy, it just came out. So you know, Joe and I were very happy because we love that album, and it was the fix. Who mm-hmm. at that time, uh, I believe it was just Shuttered Room was out. I think it was right before Reach the Beach came out. Uh, but they had like you know they had one thing leads to another, and they had you know Red Skies at Night and all that stuff. So you had the yeah. fix. Uh, they had Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Oh wow! Who got okay. booed? Who got booed incessantly and almost booed off the stage? I mean, not not that it's right to boo them, but I don't know why they're there. Well, here's the thing. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, because okay, I'll give you the rest. And the rest of the, and the other band was a flock of seagulls, and then the police. So, yeah, that makes no sense. So the band that sticks out on that card is Joan Jett, obviously, because everybody else ministry was New Wave, and so was the Fix, so was Flock of Seagulls, and obviously so were the Police. And everybody there was in very new wavy outfits and stuff. It was 1983, mm-hmm. and it was everybody was one of the first times that everybody in Chicago was exposed to MTV because they sponsored the show. Mm, okay. And all they did was show videos in between, in between the in between the acts, yeah, on the giant jumbotrons. And so, for a lot of us who live in the city, we didn't have cable, you know. And we were like, oh, this MTV thing. Oh, my God. It was, like, new. <laughs> and, like, they would have, like, Martha Quinn would come on there and, and you know, um, and mm-hmm. Nina, Nina Blackwood. And, you know, the original VJs, Alan Hunter and those guys, they would come on um, in between. And we'd be like, oh, they're so cool. And I had a crush on Martha Quinn. And I was like, oh. And then, like, they would play, like, I remember people would go nuts when they would play videos. Like, there's, like, I don't know how many thousand people were. Like, 45,000 people were there at Comiskey. And I remember one of the biggest responses of the entire day, including live acts, was when they played the video mm-hmm. for New Year's Day by, by U2. I remember people just went fucking nuts. Like they, <laughs> so, I mean, it's their jams. It's their yeah. songs. But it was, one, it, was, it was one of those things. It was like New Wave was happening. It was the hottest thing in the world, and everybody was there mm-hmm. for all these people, and there's MTV, and then all of a sudden Joan Jett comes on. And yeah. And my, my that Joe a, and I, that was uh was that just like a who can we get? No, no, no. Uh, they, the police toured with her, with her. They, they, it was oh. their, it was, yeah. I mean, that when, huh. when that when that tour continued, she was the opening act. Those other guys weren't mm, interesting, uh, because they liked Joan Jett, because you know, like those guys have musical taste and Joan Jett rules. And so, so like when she came out, people started booing. Joe and I were like, shut the fuck up. We were like, what are you, boo- how are you booing Joan Jett? She's <laughs> yeah. like, She's fucking Joan Jett. She's, she's in the Runaways. The fuck is wrong with you people? Like we were genuinely pissed, but she got excessively booed to the point where I I don't yeah. remember, but I think she cut her set short because of these new wave weird haired assholes booing her. So yeah, I could I could see that she probably didn't want to deal with it. No, absolutely. But then she toured with those guys, and I because I saw I saw the police on that tour probably four or five times on that tour. And she was the opening act at least three times. And it, was, it went fine those other times. But I guess that one day, that whole festival, MTV is there. Mm-hmm. And it's all, you know, it's a fixed flock of seagulls ministry and all that shit. Right. Everybody wanted that other kind of. You ever go to a That's... show where, you ever go to a show where, like, an opening band or, or anybody got booed or, like, didn't want to be there? Like, bad opening bands? Um, ye- I haven't had anybody be booed, but I've uh, been to shows where they just kind of ignore yeah. The opening act and like everyone's talking and, uh, you know, no one expects you to like stand there and just be really, really quiet. But it was to the point where there was just quite a a, a din. 
Yeah. And you're you're listening to the opening act, and you're just like, God, you could at least keep it down. Like, dang. I know, right? <laughs> Have I a little just, respect. I, you know, and it's, it, listen, I always feel bad for the band, and sometimes I understand. Like, I, like, I, like in that case, uh, I can understand because she didn't fit in on the bill. Mm-hmm. She fucking rules. I mean, that's not even a question. You know what I mean? She's Joan Jett. She she rules. But that's not kind. That wasn't just the. It just wasn't the right vibe at the time. And and a lot of people yeah. were idiots. And there was a lot of beer drinking. You know, the more people got loaded, the more they booed. And she came on. Uh, she was third because it was, it was ministry. Then the fix. Then her. So by the time she came on, it was hot. People were in the sun. They were drinking. You know what I mean? And it, mm-hmm. all of that bullshit, like built up to to a bunch of, you know, to a majority of people booing her. But I always feel bad. Did not, you know, in the in the case, you know, in the cases that you're talking about, Esmeralda, did you feel bad for the band even if they weren't that yeah, good? Yeah, I felt. You know, I. It wasn't a fact that they were not that good. It was just like people didn't know who they were. Yeah. Um. Maybe they just weren't into it. You know, they wanted to see the the band, the main act. Yeah. But it was just the thing to me is like that's just disrespectful. Like it I is. understand that like if you don't know them or anything, but give them a chance at least. Don't talk so loud. Like. Have a, have that level of courtesy for them, yeah. but you know, people are buttholes. Yeah. Well, the thing, the other, and the thing is, it's like, okay, look, uh, they're they're gonna play for forty minutes, maybe. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You can do that. You can just shut up for a half an hour, forty minutes, yeah. can't you? And some people, you know, like a lot of people aren't even there. Like a lot of people don't even show up for the opening act. You know, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're there, don't be a jag off about it. You know what I mean? Um, like I'll, I'll never forget this. This is a this is the worst example of that. Let me tell you the worst example. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example, Esmeralda. This was at the Vic, okay. Mm-hmm. And UFO was playing, and UFO, um, they hadn't played together uh, in in probably uh, my guess at this point was probably fifteen years, okay. And it was the classic lineup. It was so. In other words, like if you don't, if you don't know who UFO is, it doesn't matter because they were a very very popular band. Uh, and they released it. What, in my opinion, the greatest live album of all time, which is called "Strangers of the Night," oddly enough, recorded here in Chicago at the Amphitheater. Mm. Um, and they're a, they're a hard rock band. Uh, you, I mean, if you, I'm sure you've, you know you know UFO, but it, but yeah. they were a very very popular band. And Michael Schenker was the guitarist who would go on. His brother was in Scorpions. They were of that ilk. You know what I mean? So they reunited for this tour, and they played. T- and and again, they have a real strong connection to Chicago. Because that live album, Strangers of the Night, was recorded here. Mm-hmm. And so there is a very, very strong, passionate uh, contingency of fans from Chicago who love UFO. And I'm one of them. And my friends are a bunch of them. And so they did a reuniting tour. And they played two nights at the Vic. And we went. My friends and I went. It was me and Scott Oaken and all my other buddies. There were about seven of us. And we go. And there was an opening act. I don't remember the name of the band. Mm. And and UFO fans, a lot of the fans of that kind of music have a tendency to be dicks, and they drink a lot. <laughs> okay, they do. They were mm-hmm. there are a lot of lunkheads. We're talking about the same sort of people that you know went to disco demolition. That kind of you know what I mean, like that kind of yeah. Group. So we're talking burnout white guys, straight guys. Okay, that are predominantly in the audience, and so and they'd been drinking, and so the opening act comes on. And I don't remember who they are. And immediately, like, Ill- like literally when they started their first song, people started going, fuck, uh, fuck you, and like screaming. 
and then began chanting like you know like however many like thousands of people in, at the at the Vic just started chanting at the top of their lungs UFO 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 oh, while these guys are trying to do their their you know their to do their set and I'm looking yeah. around I'm like man shut you know look look I waited 15 years to see these guys back together again you know what I mean like I was excited because seriously, it was a big deal for UFO to come back together for the fans. It was a big, big deal. And we'd waited a very long time. And everybody was, like, really pumped for this show. And we wanted UFO on that stage. But you know what? There was an opening act. And at least be decent to these guys, you know? Yeah. And it was horrible. Horrible. Because also you have to think that the UFO is like, yes, we want this band here. Yeah. I'm sure there are certain occasions where that doesn't – that's not the truth. Yeah. Well, but for the yeah. most part, the main act is like, you know, they've chosen them or they've they've been right. fine with it. So it's yeah, it's so disrespectful. It completely, man. And, and and this was the worst I've ever seen. Like they, they you know, they were they were UFO, like the incessantly like loud. They were drowning out the band and they were a metal Good band. Lord. They were and they were drowning out the band with the UFOs screaming mm. UFO, UFO. And then <laughs> and the other thing is like so then finally the lead singer made a big mistake. The lead singer's like, hey, what the fuck? You know, we're fans, too. We like UF and, oh and, st- and, and started to get confrontational with these drunk white jagoffs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is a mistake. And he made a huge mistake. And they started screaming, fuck you. And they started throwing shit at the, at, the, at the band. They started throwing beer and all kinds of shit. And then the okay. chant started even more. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, here's, here's the deal. Let me explain something to you fucking morons who are screaming. One, it's disrespectful. Okay, two, the, and they weren't good. Okay, I will say that. The band wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, m- what I could hear <laughs> over the din of drunk white guys screaming UFO. But anyway, they weren't very good. But, f- you know, that's fine. Again, it's going to be a half an hour. Okay? It's like a half an hour, 40 minutes. At the most, these guys are going to play. And let me explain something I, w- I wanted to say to these fucking idiots. If you boo these guys off the stage, which they did. They ended up cutting their set short. Mm-hmm. And they left the stage after I think it was probably the fourth song. In the middle of the fourth song, they left. Okay? They left the stage. And now it's not like UFO is going to come out any fucking earlier. You know what I mean? Right. Now it's, you're just going to have to stand there. And that's what they did. And what did they do? They drank more. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so it was like, because UFO probably wasn't even, they were probably out getting dinner. You know, they probably weren't even at the venue. They probably weren't even, you know what I mean? They probably weren't, they were in the tour bus getting drunk or they were someplace else in the city. You right. know what I mean? You know that. I mean, it's like, there's a schedule for shows. Like, you know, opening band does this, there's a break, then you guys come on, the headliners come on at, I don't know, 9.20. These guys get booed off the stage at, you know, like quarter to eight. Well, you're going to sit there now for an hour, hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> so, and, and then by the time UFO came on, everybody was shit-faced. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. I, and I'm sure they all forgot the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, then, so then, as well, my friends and I went the second night because we like UFO a lot. We go the second night. Same thing happens. And the same band. They open up, same thing happens. UFO! They start throwing shit and they cut their band. It was horrible. That's so sad. It's terrible, man. It's terrible. And it happened on that level, that uh, the Joan Jet getting booed by like 30,000 people at Comiskey. Oof. Yeah. But I was with, you know. Joan Jet persevered. Yeah, and she didn't. She, I mean, I, I, if I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if she cut her set short. She might have maybe one song. She certainly didn't do an encore. Mm. I know. Her. Yeah, <laughs> I know she didn't do an encore. 
But you know, like when when you know, like when she played like uh, you know, like something like "I Love Rock and Roll," people were like, "Oh, I know that song. That song's okay." You know what I mean? <laughs> that sounds familiar. Fucking idiots. But that was a great day, though. That was a fun day at Comiskey. That was good. I was with uh, you know my 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 late buddy Joe. Hey, yeah, hey, listen. What the hell happened after that? For I was with him, a couple of other people, and my twenty-four-year-old uh, girlfriend at the time, manager for McDonald's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my boss for McDonald's, which I know you're always thrilled to hear about that. No. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, let me just ask you this: Do you watch or have you watched The Masked Singer? Um, I, you know, I've seen like bits and pieces of it. Because I just watched it because I, you know, uh, it's still on my DVR. I started DVRing it like mm-hmm. when it started, like what was it, four or five years ago or something when it started? Yeah. And it's still there and it pops up. And I'm like, oh shit, I still have that on my DVR. <laughs> and, and I'll watch it and I do watch it, but I, now I just mm-hmm. kind of fast forward and I watched some of the performance and then I just want to see who's unmasked. You know what I mean? Like, I don't give a shit about the rest of it. I just want to see who's underneath the masks. You know? Yeah. And but I watched the whole thing just I just watched it just not too long ago, just recently this morning, I should say. And they did 80s night. Mm-hmm. So this is 80s night last night. They did it. And I I can't even stand for four seconds. The four the four judges. Um, I mean, I can't even like Jenny McCarthy is a, a moron beyond. Oh, yeah. No, uh, she's terrible. <laughs> Ken Ken Jeong, I don't know how the fuck I ever found him funny. I I, I mean I found I, I liked him on Community. That's the it, it, yeah, and he's unbelievable. I mean he is unbelievable. You ever see him on that show? I haven't. Oh no. my god, he's unbelievably, unbelievably annoying. And then what's her ass from the Puss- Pussycats <laughs> uh, dolls? Oh, the, uh, uh, Nicole Nicole Scherzer. Scherzer, Scherzer, yeah, Nicole Nicole Suburbs. That's that's yeah. That's work. <laughs> so she's an, and, and 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 then thick, the thick guy, the Robin Thick. Oh God, yeah. Oh that's, my God, uh, they I, kind of picked a they picked a doozy of guests and, again, and the, or a yeah, doozy of judges. Absolutely, and and as annoying as they were, like during the first couple of seasons, they're fucking unbearable now. Because I actually, like I said, I fast forward through most of it when I watch it, but I actually wanted to watch it because mm. it was eighties night, you know. And I love 80s stuff, considering we were just talking about, you know, the police. So I watched this whole thing, and uh, and the host is the father of 50, the, uh, uh, what's his ass, who just keeps fathering babies every other... Uh, oh. Um, Cannon. Oh, f- yeah, Cannon. Nick Cannon. Yeah. So he's like, what has he got, tw- 26 kids now? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's so... <laughs> get it snip, Jagoff. Come on. Get yeah. the snips. Get the snip, <laughs> snip. Do everybody a favor. Or at least put on a fucking condo. Jesus. Anyway, uh, so he's the host, and those four jagoffs are the are the yeah are the judges. It's unbelievable, as well. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Like watching the watching an entire episode was like I can't. And so, like they had because it was '80s, so Young MC came out, and which made me happy. Oh, that's fun. And he did you know bust a move at the beginning, and mm-hmm. then they all come out, and of course they have to dance. The the you know the judges have to dance and do their thing. And Ken Jeong came out with a members only jacket on because you know that's funny, right? Eighties, eighties. See members only, that's funny. So they do the whole thing, and Young MC, I just said this. Young MC did not move once. He walked out on stage <laughs> and had like twenty. I mean, dancers. He doesn't have to. Yeah, <laughs> see the dancers do it all for exactly. you. Exactly. He had twenty to bust a move. He busted no moves. He just stood there. 
<laughs> with like the middle-aged guy body. You know what I mean? It was awesome. I, I it was like it was fantastic. But he's got like thirty dancers around him. You know, like doing all mm-hmm. these break dancing and doing all that. They brought yeah, cards. Yeah, that's what they're you there know. for. Awesome. It was awesome. But he's I love just him the voice. <laughs> There's Young MC. Now, were you into Young MC at all? Did you love the Young MC? Yeah, he's great. <laughs> He came out, and then they, every time they would they would do a clue, because you know the the contestant would come out with a big elaborate costume, and the costumes keep mm-hmm. getting weirder and weirder. And then somebody would come out and give a clue. So they had like Eric Estrada, you know, come out and oh, give wow. a clue. And they had Charlene Tilton from um, Dallas. She came mm-hmm. out and gave a clue. And so you know, and then everybody would come out. They would they would do the songs. They were doing all eighty songs. So that somebody did "Don't You Forget About Me." Which I I think by the way the person who who uh, did don't you forget about me, uh, I think uh, it, under that costume is Sebastian Bach. <laughs> is it yeah. very tall? Yes, yes, very tall. I, I think he still has a bump on his head from when I knocked him on his ass uh, right <laughs> in the mosh pit at the Soundgarden show. But anyway, so I think that's him. But he wasn't unmasked last night. So so anyway, mm. they came out. They did like uh, uh, girls just want to have fun. You know, so they did all the eighty songs, and that's why I watched it because I love those those songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Young MC came back a couple times and just stood there. <laughs> like, like Young MC literally did not. I think he took two steps the entire time he was on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so here's who got unmasked. Okay, not to ruin it for people, but George <laughs> went. Fucking George went. Oh wow. Uh, he sang. Right. Uh, he sang "Power of Love" from Back to the Future. Interesting. And he was. How was he, it? Like, how did it sound? It was. It was terrible. But he, like, he was in. Oh. He was under a moose costume, so he had a big moose head. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that makes sense. Like, once unmasked. Right. The moose. You're like, oh, okay. No, I can see why he would be wearing a moose head. And he was sitting on a stool, like a, tr- like it was like it, it looked like a tree stump. But he was sitting, mm-hmm. sitting the whole. He did not move during the entire performance, nor during the judging. No, none of thing. He didn't move. He just sat there, <laughs> took the mask off, and it's George Wentz who was like, "I don't even know why I'm here." It was just. <laughs> <laughs> and then now maybe you know who this is because you know sometimes I watch it and they do the mask singer and they they unveil the the person and I don't know who the hell it is. Hmm. Uh, do you have any idea who Christine Quinn is? No. Blonde. She, I guess, is on a show called Selling Sunset. Which I oh, think. Oh, okay. So she's reality. It's a reality yes, show. It's a reality yeah. show, right? Yeah. Okay. So she and you know, and then like everybody goes nuts in the audience and the and the you know and the judges all. Oh, we love you. Who the fuck? What? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes it has to, it's the little bottom of the barrel. Absolutely. You know, whoever we could get to Absolutely. do the singing. <laughs> but I just thought it was like, it, it, to me, that represented everything about the show. Like, I watched the, I watched the show because I like the 80s and they did, you know, 80s musical numbers. But I, I found it to be so, like, both pathetic and kind of sad and also great because, like, young MC, yeah. young MC didn't move. George Went was sitting on a stool the entire time. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I'm amazed by who they get, but then usually it's like, oh, okay, right. I see. <laughs> right. I mean, like they had People Dick Van Dyke on. Show. Dick Van Dyke was on yeah. this season. That's fun, though. No, he's... it was awesome. I, you know, so you never know. But then, like, so it's George went, and he's like, uh, he didn't care. He didn't even. George I swear went. to God, he didn't even move. And he looks, <sighs> he looks terrible. I don't want to, you know, but he looks. He's not Norm at his best. I can tell you that right now. Right. 
Uh, and then they get this, like, at the end, everybody's going, oh, it's Christine Quinn! And the crowd goes nuts. I'm like, who the fuck is Christine Quinn? Well, you got to hype him up either way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you don't want to be rude it's to a whole your bunch guest, of, essentially. Whole bunch of, whole bunch of people going, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. I thought I'd throw that at you. Christine Quinn. So, I don't want to spoil it for you, Esmeralda, but she was the big reveal at the end of the show. It was, it was well, the one and only ugh. Christine Quinn. <laughs> That's where I'm like, and then she's the, well, I guess she's more relevant in terms of, because her show or whatever. Yeah. Because I would be like, I would be more amazed to be like, oh my God, George went. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because it's George, he's Norm. But I mean, like he, and he did, and like he did the power of love. I don't know why he did the power of love. It was just weird. I don't know. And, the, and, and I used to, like, I watched that show when it first came on. I watched it like religiously. Mm-hmm. And I was annoyed by the by the uh, by the judges, but I was like, "Oh, the show is fun," and blah blah blah. And now, obviously, like I said, I forgot that it was even on my DVR. And every once in a while, I'll scan through it just to see who who is mm-hmm. you know who was revealed at the end. But I actually watched this whole episode because I wanted to watch it because of the eighties, and uh, and it's it's unbelievably horrible. That show is unfucking believably horrible. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. And I, I'd always, um, the, the moments I have seen, it cracks me up where they're like, where the, you know, they're taking guesses on who it could be. Right. And they're just throwing out these like very, very high A-level oh, celebrities where I'm yeah. like, they would never be on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, you know what? Two, you know, like two of these idiots, I can't remember who it was because Jenny McCarthy and I'm sorry, Jenny McCarthy Wahlberg now that she goes mm. by. And mm-hmm. he, by the way, the Donnie, she's married to Donnie Wahlberg. Yes. Yeah, Donnie Wahlberg. He was in the audience at the 80s show wearing an 80s tracksuit. You know, like, oh, of it's course. Donnie. And they're like, you know, blowing kisses. It was fuck. I mean, ridiculous. Ugh. So anyway. And they these, live around here. They I do. Believe. And she was, and she mentioned Chicago because she, she guessed uh, uh, George Went. She guessed right. And yeah. when she was explaining, she's like, yeah, I think it's George Went. And, you know, and, and he was at Second City and I'm from Chicago and I got the ridiculous Chicago accent, as you can all hear. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Yeah, she lives in the suburbs. I know she I does, and she so, yeah. she was she's from the South Side. I don't know. Um, she's yeah. actually, she's from the South Side. I don't know where she lives now, but she does have a place here. Her and fucking Donnie. But she's unbelievably annoying, and I even can't even. You know, listen, when Robin Thicke is the coolest person on the panel, you've got some serious Oof. problems. Yeah, and these guys are unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. But yeah, but yeah. So when when you know like but. They guessed, at one point, they guessed earlier this season, they guessed Dustin Hoffman. Two people guessed Dustin. Like, Dustin Hoffman is going to do, you know what I mean? Like He's not going to come in. Exactly what you're saying, Esmeralda. (laughs) He's got better things to do, completely. George (laughs) Wendt, on the other hand, mm, (laughs) I feel like he kind of cash grab. He's like, wherever. He's like, okay, I guess I'll get in this moose costume. (laughs) Yeah. Christine Quinn is your big, like, okay, I don't know who that is. So clearly, that's okay. I don't know. Uh, I I have no idea. Anyway, but what's his ass? Uh, uh, who used to be uh, on Saved by the Bell? Uh, the guy that's on one of those entertainment shows now. Um, oh, uh, Mario Lopez. Yeah, he won one year. He won, I think, last oh, season. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what he was dressed as—a jag off. I don't know what it, what it was. But uh, I'm amazed. I didn't know he could sing. See, that's that's the one thing about this show is that sometimes when they win and and you you hear their voice, you're just like, oh my goodness. Yeah. I didn't know so and so could sing. Yeah. Uh, clearly, we all know now that we know that George Went cannot sing. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And it was it was just hilarious. And again, like he's sitting on what they had like a it, it looked like a, a tree trunk because he's a moose, so he's supposed to be in the wilderness. And mm-hmm. <laughs> and then also power of love. I feel like they could have given him an easier song. I know, but okay. I don't, I don't <laughs> And like he had trouble getting the mask off because it's a huge thing, you know. Because these ma- these these costumes are like some of them are really huge. Yeah, and yeah, they've really, you know, as the years have gone by, they've gone they've gotten very elaborate. <laughs> they have, and then sometimes they're there's like a, crazy elaborate. There's like a group. Like one time they had uh, Wilson Phillips. Like all three of them were in like, <laughs> like all three of the Wilson Phillips, the China Phillips, and the Wilsons, and the whatever, whoever, mm-hmm. the three girls. And the Hansons, like the Hanson guys. Uh, they yeah, I were could like, believe they'd be on that show. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, George Went sang Power of Love. If you're interested, Esmeralda, I'm sure it's out there on YouTube if you want to watch them. You want to watch George <laughs> Went dressed as a moose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I don't, know, I don't know if it was the last time, uh, when the last time you was when you watched that show. But now I guess I, I guess in order to be hip, I have to, I have to watch Selling Sunset, Esmeralda. Is that like a thing I have yeah, to do? I guess so. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have the patience to watch the masked singer. Yeah, because you have it on DVR, so you can right. you can flip through. But like, if you're gonna <laughs> right, if you're gonna watch it on regular TV. It's painful. It is. And that's why you're... I've never really gone through and, a whole thing. And I, I no no no, I don't blame you at all, Esmeralda. I bring it up because it's the first time I've watched like a whole episode. No, and I fast forwarded through obviously through the commercials and stuff, and through mm-hmm. and through some of the shit that I didn't want to see. But like they for talk the talk mo- a lot, they do. They and do I a don't lot w- of speculating, <laughs> and and it's also for idiots like this Nicole and the Ken and the and and uh, what's her ass the the uh, uh, Jenny McCarthy and Robin Thicke they're mm-hmm. morons and 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 Nick you know Nick Cannon's not you know impregnating anybody so he's uninteresting so it's like what right the- so but yeah but I did want to watch it because it was eighties night and I love the eighties and 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 you won me over as soon as you have an opening number with a young MC I'm like okay I think I'll watch this you know what I mean right you'd be like okay this doesn't seem so bad and then out and then comes George Went <laughs> <laughs> George Went wasn't really the problem the problem um, are that as soon as the hosts came out like Ken, when Ken Jeong came out dancing trying to be cool with a members only yeah. jacket I was like give me get get the so. I mean he's earning his money I guess he is God bless him <laughs> hey. All right. Anyway. All right. I don't know what the hell. Listen, let's taste some Mexican candy, shall we? Sure. Now, this, now you, you chose this. Explain what this is again. And now, now, we actually should explain that we bought this candy. You and I went to the candy store a long time. Yeah, it was a few months. So it's a bit, it's hardened. So, yeah, eat these fresh. Eat these fresher. Right. I don't know if it was the wrapping or... Air got in. Air got in, and they Something got a little happened. crispy. Right. So explain what, what are we what so are yeah, we Yeah, they doing? shouldn't be so crispy. This I'm one, sorry. at least. I'm looking at this thing now, and I'm touching it, and it's fantastic. I mean, this thing is like a it's, brick. Yeah. It's, it's like, like a, a fucking yeah. brick. All right, well, explain what we're having. These, normally, this is a very lovely candy that you've grown up right. on. Right. It's a caramel. Yeah. Okay. So it's, a, it's essentially, it's a goat's milk caramel. Um that is in between what I call, they look like communion wafers. So they're like in between two communion wafers. And you just, you eat it. And it has a certain flavor because it is goat's milk. Um, but it's really good. And they're called obleas. Okay. And they usually come pretty round. They make them smaller now too. Um, and in different forms. But the the one I'm used to is the, the circular. Right. And this one. is, but it's. What are we talking about circumference here? We're talking about what, two inches? Yeah, 
yeah, yeah it's pretty big. It's not a. It's not like it's. It's a large wafer. It's not like a communion wafer. It's bigger than a communion wafer. It's large. Right. It's a. It's a X, XL communion wafer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a triple X. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. So and this is co- the, it's the size. It's almost the size of the one that when you if you do go to at least Catholic church, they um, the priest always has a giant one that oh, he right. breaks. <laughs> He always gets a giant one, or you, sometimes, <laughs> not always. Sometimes they'll just have a regular old size one. Be, people are but jealous. Sometimes they'll have a giant one that they break into pieces. People are jealous of the pre. Why is your wafer so yeah. big, dude? Why is it so giant? Yeah, he, he gets more to snack on. He gets more Jesus to snack on. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> All right. So what it's we... uh, it's a, it's just caramel within two wafers, okay. and it's it's but... quite lovely. The 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 flavor is nice of the okay. goat's milk now, caramel. Now again, this might be a little different uh, taste for us because th- again, the, the this has been sitting for a few more, a few months. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Um, they aren't they aren't always the softest. Oh, and wow. be careful, it is fairly sticky. Oh my god, it's so hard though. Yeah. It shouldn't be that way. <laughs> mm. Okay. But the caramel flavor is lovely. Mm, it is, but I mean, God, I wish this were fresh. That's all I can say. <laughs> is all of yours, like, not? Because if you go into the middle, mine's a little softer. No, mine's, mine is like, ser- seriously, Esmeralda, it's a hockey puck. <laughs> it's a very thin yeah, hockey it puck. it shouldn't. It shouldn't yeah. be that way. And I've tasted. So don't well, be I, deterred. <laughs> I can no, but I can no, 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 no. I've tasted, as you know, I've uh, I, uh, I've tasted this, uh, you know, before. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, and and in regular form, fresh form, it's delicious. It's absolutely mm-hmm. delicious. so. Obleas is that's that's uh, that's what mm-hmm. the uh, okay mm-hmm. Obleas. So uh, I would I would recommend it, but I don't recommend that you have it sit in a bag, uh, on a dining room chair for two and a half months. That's the time. That I don't yeah, I don't recommend that. So God damn it, Nick. That's right. Oh man. All right. Well, uh, hey, the, the so as well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we My still teeth have... are stuck together. For I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all up in my teeth now. It's, okay. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll let you go so you can floss. Um, it shouldn't. It again. Don't be deterred. We just let no, them sit. Yes. No. 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 I, that's why I want to. I want to <sighs> emphasize that when these things are freshly purchased, they are delicious. They are absolutely mm-hmm. delicious. Don't it's not let bad. it. The flavor's still there. It's just yeah. Right. You just. Quite, it's a hockey puck at this point. It's quite uh, <laughs> crispy. All right. Well, listen. Have a great weekend at the at the second anniversary housewarming party. Yes, I will <laughs> let them know. <laughs> You send your best. Uh, and then uh, we will talk on uh, on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, we won't. Oh, yes, we will. No, we won't. It's for the people. I'm sorry. Esmeralda, oh, you got the okay. day off. Uh, oh, Herb okay. Weissbaum Her- and Tom Pell will be with us to talk cars and consumer uh, stuff. So we'll uh, say hello. I will do that. And uh, he did. Uh, he, you guys Herb did talk. and Tom. You, yeah. You, guys, you talked to Tom. You got to talk to Tom mm-hmm. at, at our at our uh, Zany's event with, with Rich Coes. That was fun. Tom is lovely. He always, I think he's, has he been to all of them? Uh. Three of the four. See, he's come to three of wow. the four. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good guy, and, That's I, and great. Uh, I love it. Yeah, he's he's great. He's a very nice guy, and so you got to talk to him. That was cool. Well, he'll be on with Herb, uh, talking about consumer stuff for you, for the people. So that'll be the next time. Nice. Uh, so my thanks to Eric Childress and uh, Steve Procopi for the movie reviews this week. Uh, Esmeralda, you rule the planet, and we will talk to you a week from today. Then 
Um, yes. And uh, and you you could tell me all about the housewarming party. Will do. Okay, cool. All right, my thanks to you guys for checking it out. Uh, if you want to be a uh, a sponsor, uh, sales at radiomisfits.com. You want to leave a voicemail message, and we encourage that, 24-7-773-417-6948. Email nickdpodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs and Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. Rate and review us. Take the time to do that. Uh, subscribe, spread the word, and all that stuff. Next time again, for the people, Herb Weissbaum and Tom Appel, uh, for all the consumer needs that you have. And uh, thank you for checking us out. Episode 128 of the Nick D Podcast, Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The wind is right on me.